Welcome back to Bodies in the Bayous, Season 2, The Candyman. I'm Morgan. And I'm Gretchen. The Candyman, a.k.a. Dean Coral, also known as Houston's mass murderer, stalked young boys in Houston and surrounding suburbs from 1970 to 1973, along with two teenage accomplices, Elmer Wayne Henley and David Owen Brooks. Elmer Wayne Henley would put a stop to Coral's reign of terror, by killing him with his own gun. Hey guys, this is episode one, Mama, I Killed Dean. In the 1970s, the city of Pasadena, Texas, still had a small town feel with a population of about 90,000 people, and it was located just outside the growing city of Houston. It was the type of place where everyone knew each other, the place where people left their windows open at night to cool their homes and didn't lock their doors. Their claim to fame in this small town was Gilly's Bar, which would later become the setting for the film Urban Cowboy, starring John Travolta. One of the most surprising things about the conversation that Morgan and I had laying out these, uh, this episode was that she actually has not seen Urban Cowboy. I have not seen Urban <laughs> Cowboy tonight. Like, tonight. I had a whole discussion with her about the, you know, bull that was in Urban Cowboy and that it was actually in the bar, and she did not know. And Morgan spent a lot of time in Pasadena, so this was surprising to me that she didn't actually know this. <laughs> but back to our episode. Wednesday afternoon, August 8th, 1973, a bizarre phone call came in to the police station in Pasadena, a 17-year-old named Elmer Wayne Henley hysterically told police officers on the phone that he had shot and killed Dean Arnold Coral. Police arrived at 2020 Lamar Drive in Pasadena, a small white bungalow with blue trim in a quiet neighborhood. When police arrived, they actually found two teenager, two teenage boys and one teenage girl standing out front of the house. Henley a slender, timid, unkept young man with light brown hair and a goatee came forward. He's motioning officers, come inside, come inside. The officers go inside the house. They're not quite ready for the horror that they're about to be exposed to. And there lays Coral dead on the floor of multiple gunshot wounds. Coral was a larger man weighing about 200 pounds, quite muscular with brown wavy hair graying around the temples. The teenagers were quickly escorted to the police station um, and Coral was transported to the morgue. The police began to look around the apartment and they were surprised to see that the bedroom was covered in plastic sheeting on the floor. Near the bed was a thick plywood board with several handcuffs and ropes attached to it. On the floor was a large knife and a huge dildo with petroleum jelly. To say that the police were unprepared for this, it's kind of an understatement. These are police officers who definitely had been investigating homicides and that type of thing. I mean, this was this is a larger uh, suburban city at the time, so it's not like it was their first homicide or anything like that. But to come in and have that type of setup would have been incredibly shocking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For certain. So once at the police station, the teenagers began to tell their story of what had happened that night. And one of the things that becomes very clear is that Coral's house was known to be a teenager hangout. This is, had kind of started when a lot of these kids in this area were a lot younger. Coral's mother actually owned a candy store. And so the kids would come to the candy store after school, get their candy, and they were known to hang out with Coral. Coral then 
as the kids became teenagers, they would go over to his house at night when, um, at one point in time he had a pool table. And so the kids would hang out and play pool. This was also to be a known place where you could hang out, smoke pot, drink, even though you were underage and that Coral would really allow that. He was somebody that everybody in the neighborhood knew that he had at least what they were thinking would be a healthy relationship with these teens, but you know, later would turn out not to be as healthy. But just because people came over to Coral's house didn't necessarily mean that they ended up going missing. There were a lot of teens who were in and out of there during a lot of times. So that night with um, Henley and his friend, Tim Curley, who was, uh, Tim Curley's about uh, 17 years old when he goes over. And then Rhonda Williams, who's 15 years old, is also going over to Coral's house. Now, Rhonda had a lot going on at home. Mm-hmm. So um, unfortunately, Rhonda had a fight with her father who was very abusive, not only abusive physically, but actually was sexually abusing her too. And so uh, Henley had uh, climbed through her window and helped her climb out. And so that night Rhonda's with Henley and he's kind of her savior. Mm -hmm. You know, he's taking her away from that situation and giving her a safe place to land. So she's really looking at him as this guy who's there to save her. And then they're out, out at Dean Coral's house and they're drinking, um, they're smoking pot, they're uh, sniffing acrylics. And during the night, different ones of them pass out. I think when Rhonda passes out, uh, she's later awoken, she's tied up. Henley manages to get her out of the room into another room, but she can kind of hear what's going on back and forth with him. He claims that um, he had been, that he woke up and that Coral was was attempting to handcuff him and that he freaked out, started to try to make a deal with Coral saying, you know, I'll uh, help you assault these two or torture these two. Tim claimed that um, Henley had, um, had uh, was kind of fighting back and forth with him and... Um, then that Coral was threatening um, Henley with the gun. So during that, Tim is also tied up right. at this point. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and in this struggle, then Coral finally sets down the gun. And at that point in time, Coral and Henley are fighting part of what they seem to be fighting over is that that evening that Henley had actually brought Rhonda there. Yeah. It seems to be, mm-hmm. seems to be the argument was that Coral seems to be expecting a different type of evening. And now there's this girl. And so he's trying to get Henley to sexually assault Rhonda. Right. Um, I mean, he probably thought the night was going to go differently because the MO or the whole thing was, you know, Henley bring over a male for him, right? A male for him, and yeah. so when he shows up with a female too, 
Yeah. You know, it's messed up his whole evening. He's probably planned out in his head, right. you know? So at that point in time, when Henley picks up the gun, he's, Henley is yelling at Coral, this has gone far enough. And Coral proceeds to kind of walk forward toward Henley saying, just kill me, kill me. And Henley shoots and kills him, emptying the gun. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was going to be probably either Coral or Henley at this point that was going to go down because right. when Henley has at this point kind of defied him, right. You know, by freeing his friend and Rhonda. Right. So he's probably in disbelief that he's done that. And, you know, he was probably going to go out I and mean, he might've gone after him, you know? Well, and I, I think that that's a very good possibility. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so this night, at this point in time, when police interview Curly, he actually says that Henley, shortly after the killing, pulled him aside and said, if you weren't a friend of mine, I could have gotten $1,500 from you. Police took the statement cautiously at this point. They're not really, you know, they're hearing these stories. So, and Curly's telling him that Carol... Coral, I'm sorry, Coral was a homosexual and a pedophile and that he attended on raping and murdering both him and Rhonda. Mm -hmm. um, and it, there's so much to that that I think, you know, at that point is, is a lot of disbelief. You have these young teenagers and you have this very, what it seems like a very far-fetched story, but there's enough evidence in that department that they're certainly you know, believing them. I mean, when they arrive at the apartment, the one thing that always got me about this was the sheeting on the floor. Yeah. And it was a house, by the way. Oh, sorry. The, the house. Yeah. The sheeting on the floor of the house. I mean, can you imagine walking in and being like, what is this about? Yeah. You know? I mean, at some point in time, I think you would be you, like, like, you don't see that every right. day. You but know? I think, you know, part of that is when you delve into what they're kind of talking about they seem to have passed out in a living room type area and this seemed to be in a bedroom that was kind of off and kept like out of sight from the teenagers who would party there not until you know you didn't want to get taken back there no so um and then so Coral's death certificate actually states that he was an electrician for the Houston Light and Power Company. So that's what he was doing at that point in time. But previously, the way that he got to know a lot of these kids was through the candy shop. So at this point, at the point of his death, the candy shop had closed. Um, and that he was shot and killed at 2020 Lamar Street in Pasadena, Texas. He was shot once in the chest and three times in the back of the head. I think that the one thing that you can say about Henley is that he certainly was going to kill him. Oh, sure. You know, I mean, I, I don't think that he had, I think that he knew that if, if Coral got back up, he was in trouble. Oh, sure. So, I mean, I truly believe he would have been in trouble too. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, so the two other victims in this, Ron Williams and Tim Curley, don't talk publicly about this case for decades. Mm -hmm. You know, you, the, they gave their stories to the police when they were first interviewed, but for decades, they didn't talk publicly. And I, this is a horrific, horrific night. And Rhonda Williams was already a victim. And then this just, you know, I mean, can you imagine forever? I mean, you're getting away from a terrible situation. Thank God. Right. But you're forever connected 
to these other men that didn't get uh -huh. away. You know, I mean, you are forever connected to that. Yes. You know, so I can't, I can't imagine living with that. I can't imagine living with that either. Police station Hunley begins to tell police about other victims buried in what he refers to as a boat shed located in the 4500 block of Silver Bell Street in Houston. Police are reluctant to believe him. Henley stated that he knew this because Coral had told him that there were bodies buried in the boat shed. The unit rented was a 12 foot by 30 foot unit with a dirt floor. Okay, so let's just be a little bit clear here because we're saying a boat shed what it, it actually is is a storage unit in the middle of a facility that has multiple storage units right so i think they refer to this as boat sheds by the size of these storage uh -huh. units but um and i mean they do have the dirt floor they so do have it's the dirt not floor. cemented but you can have so it's a it's a it's a boat storage facility because you can have boats stored on the outside, but then you can also have these larger storage units where you can store your boat in kind of a, like a storage yeah, unit where so you have unit after unit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so then you can store your um, storage unit in one of those that's not in the weather. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll post some pictures right. you know, of this. And I think what's unusual about this and certainly what the storage unit facility person says later is, or actually other friends of his say they thought it was unusual that he rented there because he didn't have a um, boat. But I think that even in that time period, people are renting to what's convenient for them, where it's conveniently located. And then also um, maybe, you know, knowing somebody, I think the reason that he rented at this storage facility was because of the dirt floor, mm -hmm. you know, um, and maybe because the unit was so large that it would give him the area that he wanted. Obviously, I don't think he's renting there because he's trying to store stuff. I mean, there was stuff in the storage unit when they found it. I think there are barrels, which nobody ever really describes what's in the barrels. Um, there's a bike, which comes, becomes very important later. And there's some boxes of clothing. There are definitely some articles of clothing, some shoes and that kind of stuff tossed around, which, um, come, becomes very important, but not anything where I feel like, you know, he really needed to keep all this stuff, but enough to disguise what he's doing. Right. I, I mean, yeah, if they were to pop it open, I mean, it's going to look like just a normal storage well and i think when police went out there and first popped this open even even there's doubt for those few moments of, of believing the story that there are bodies buried in this boat shed because it did kind of look like a normal mm -hmm. storage so mm -hmm. there is that minute of oh maybe it's that breath that the police give of like believing, Oh, maybe thank God this might not mm -hmm. be true, mm -hmm. you know, but, um, or I mean, you know, maybe that brief moment of like, Oh, he's just trying to cover up, you know, killing this guy. Right. right. You know? And I think the other shocking thing when we looked at this, when we first started discussing this, uh, season was there's storage units on both sides of this. Yes. So that's crazy. You know, that's right. Because I mean, you do start to wonder like, would there have been a smell, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but so even 
as they arrived in this large storage unit area, police were still operating under this idea that maybe it wouldn't be true. But again, they did have kind of the press all lined up there too. So you you get these photographs of the of the press lined up talking to different people. Um, they're out there joking with the officers and the trustees. So they um, kind of emptied the jail cell in order to bring the trustees up there with shovels to start digging mm -hmm. and, and so, so like let's just kind of if you want to just briefly describe maybe what a trustee is for some of our listeners that may not know you know what they're they're they are doing you know so a trustee certainly can be um anybody who's serving time in the jail so for you could have been arrested for say a minor drug offense or drinking and driving offense or something like that. And you could be serving any number of time there. You could be just there for the day until you get somebody to bail you out, or you could be serving a sentence of less than a year, or you could be awaiting trial. So if you think about it, here's a guy in this jail cell um, who got picked up for maybe smoking pot last night and another guy sleeping off, um, having too many last night. And then they're woken up to the police saying, we're going to go out handing them a shovel and next thing you know they're digging on this hard ground of the storage unit until the first body's found can you imagine that i just can't i don't even know how you would wrap your mind around that i don't I, you know i don't and so then basically you start to get kind of a change at that moment that that first body is brought out you know the the press starts to change um, it becomes a little bit more of a somber mood. Uh, and then, you know, the trustees who are all dressed in their white jail uniforms get, begin to file back into the boat shed where they begin to dig more. Um, the horror of one body after another body being pulled from the boat shed, the gravity of what happened started to set in. So although... Pasadena police were not aware of any missing boys in the area. They believed these boys, if they did have any missing boys in that area, I think they believed that those boys were either involved in selling drugs or had gone off to California. They had no inkling that the bodies that they were taking out of this boat shed would be from people who lived in Pasadena and also people who lived in the surrounding area of Houston Heights. Hinley lived in Houston Heights. And at that time in Houston Heights, if um, a young man would go missing, they basically had about 5,000 missing uh, persons cases at that time. And they said that they didn't really have the staff to devote to that. And so what they would do is they would take the case and they would hold on to it for 30 days. And then after 30 days, if they didn't have any more information on it, then they would file it away. And it was the family's responsibility to come back in and bring them more information. Mm -hmm. And that's how these cases were dealt with, with, with young runaways girls and boys right actually there's a <clears throat> quote from a mother who was interviewed shortly after the bodies start coming out of the boat shed and she said you know we knew we had to worry about our girls we had no idea that we had to worry about our boys i can understand that especially in that time
So that day, police interviewed the owner of the boat shed to find out how long that Coral had actually rented this boat shed. And he had had that storage stall for four years. The owner actually talks about how Coral was extremely friendly and gentle man, the nicest guy that you would want to meet. And actually one other thing that, that the owner mentions is that Coral was talking to the owner about renting a second boat shed. Know, can you imagine if, if he actually did and right. lived? I mean, can you imagine? You know, um, <laughs> well, and wouldn't you be like, what do you need to put in there? You don't have a boat in the other one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, you know, I mean, I guess it's none of their business what they have inside there, but you know, it's just, but that's just, I don't know. It's bizarre. It, it is. A friend of Coral's also comments that, of course, that he didn't even have a boat. Um, but his father actually comes forward when they go to tell him that he had passed. His father says, it's not possible. This, this is, you know, as the police are explaining that his son was killed because these kids were kidnapped and, you know, there was homosexual activity. His father says, no, it's not possible that he believes that Henley actually set up his son. Mm -hmm. So, um, that his son was the nicest person that he was actually even engaged, that his son dated women, which, you know, we know a whole lot more about this now and about pedophiles and it doesn't really have anything to do with that, but it, but you know, and the father, this is his loss. I mean, you know, he's lost his son, but at the same time, it just goes to show you how deep the belief was that nothing was going on either. Mm -hmm. So, um, he believes that Henley was probably on an alcohol and drug binge and that the only fault that his son had in this was the fact that his son was such a hospital person, hospital person to everyone that these people took advantage of him and murdered him. Teenage so, boys. Teenage boys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Basically that they set him up. Um, that day, eight bodies would be dug out of this, uh, boat shed that was on the first day of digging we'll talk more about the other days of digging but on the first day alone eight bodies would be dug out of there they were covered in plastic and uh covered in limestone and wrapped in plastic so it was horrifying to the people who were involved mm -hmm. and again you know it's like when we were talking about those trustees and you know they uncovering this right. you know that day and it's it's, it had to be shocking, mm -hmm. you know, and to the officers involved. I mean, you know, this sure. is, you know, this case would garner national attention because it was unheard of. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, around this time, uh, the police did allow Henley to call his mother from a radio car phone um, just outside the boat shed where they're digging up the bodies, basically. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I guess today we're going to leave you with the phone call to his mother yeah. that he made. Um, and uh, just join us next time as we continue to cover the Candyman. Hello? Mama. Who is this? It's Wayne. Yes, this is Mama, baby. Mama? Yeah. I killed Dean. Wayne? Dean? What are you doing? Yeah, yes. Oh, God. Where are you? Um, it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. 